We've just, uh, we've just kind of outlived a pandemic, and the definition of a pandemic is this widespread occurrence of an infectious disease over a large area of space and number of people. And COVID seems, at least for now, to have waned, but there's still, there's still a more serious one that rages at the same time. It's a spiritual pandemic that affects us all to, uh, uh, to some degree. Some have it, and it doesn't bother them at all. Some people have this problem, and they seem asymptomatic. They can't tell that it's done anything to them as far as what they can see. It doesn't seem to, have, to impact their life at all, their health at all. It's not a problem in their minds. And since it's a spiritual pandemic, it often seems to have no uh, visible or physical effects. By the time that they're going to realize that they have it, it will be too late. But for others, the problem that we're going to be talking about is perplexing. We're frustrated by it. We're mystified by it. It causes us great consternation, a struggle within us and frustration. There's this intent that we have. There's this desire that we have to be a spiritually fervent people, to have this fire and to pursue spiritual maturity and gain more and more Christ-likeness. But when it comes time to actually do the things that produce that, or do the things that express that, we suddenly find a lethargy, a lack of motivation. We find ourselves, eh. And it just doesn't seem to take much to discourage us from doing the thing that is most Christ-like at that moment. I'm going to describe this problem with some verses from Scripture that you know. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at what causes this and some, some possible treatments for it. It's called apathy. It's like, I know I should care. I know I should want to do this. I know this should be the thing that I should be pursuing. But when it comes down to doing it, it just, it's, there's two, I let other things. And here's a symptom of it is when it doesn't take much to distract me from the pursuit of it. I don't really have this fervor to me. I want to, but I don't. We're addressing apathy over the next few weeks, and here's some verses that I think describe it. This is one of those, for those of you who used to memorize verses, Psalm 1 used to be one that people memorized in the King James all the time. Blessed is the man, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. When there's a word of advice or there's a word of example from the wicked, they don't walk in it. They don't stand even where sinners do. That's where sinners stand. I don't stand there. I'm not a sinner. They don't sit with scoffers, people who make fun of the things that they value. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On this law he meditates day and night. His delight... His great pleasure is to be in the Word. For how many of us do we have to nag ourselves? It's time to read the Bible. Let's, I've got to rally myself up and dig into that Bible because it's not really our delight. I'll do it, and I'll mark it, and that's important. 
But for how many of us can we say it's our delight, it's our great pleasure? Here's Psalm, uh, I believe it's 37, verse 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you will delight in the things of God, God will fill you with delight. But what happens when God wants to fill me with these, but it's not what makes me joyful and delighted? Are you delighted to be here right now? Are you delighted in every moment you get to spend in the Word of God or in prayer with God? Is that your pleasure? Is that when you have free time, one hour to do whatever you want? Is that what you run to? For most of us, I think, and certainly most times for me, it's really not. And that's a little bit of an apathy. Here's the one that was read a moment ago, and I wanted it to be one verse. You listen to it real carefully when he says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. God says, if you hunger and thirst for it, I guarantee you, I will fill you with what makes you righteous. Here's the question. Do we hunger for it? You know what hunger is and thirst is? It's like, it's the only thing I'm thinking about. Put a guy, you know, the, the old saying is to take a guy down to the river and you know, push his head under the water and bring him back up in about 30 seconds and say, what's the one thing on your mind, right? And the one thing on his mind is air. I want air. What is? So he says, blessed are those who, man, they're going after it. I've got a grumbling in my tummy, right? I'm at a grumbling in my being for righteousness. Anything that's of God, I'm going to go look for it, and I'm going to find it because you will find what you're hungry for. And the question is, are we hungry, really? Are we hungry? Are we hungry? Philippians chapter 1, my eager expectation, this is Paul in prison, and my hope is that I will not at all be ashamed of myself, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I want to make sure that in me, I represent accurately Jesus at every moment with what I do with my body. I want it to be the most Christ-like thing. If I'm living, I want God to be glorified in me. If I'm dying, I want him to be glorified in me. I want my body to be a factory of glorifying God. Is that your hunger and desire? And how do we train teens? To have that. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. I had this against you after he bragged about some things. That I had this against you. You've lost that love you had at first. You've lost that love and feeling. You're doing some good things, but man, there's something. You just lack that passion for fervor. You're going through the motions, but it's kind of lifeless. Revelation 3.16, because you're lukewarm, you're not really hot, you're not cold, you're just, eh, right? Romans chapter 12, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent on fire, is what that word means, on fire in the Spirit, and serve the Lord. I want you to serve with fervency. I want you to not be slothful. I don't want you to just do this as a job. I want you to do this with great energy and zeal and enthusiasm and delight in it. Is that us? 
Is that you on a regular basis as a believer in the things of God? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, the one of those one-verse parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, and a man found it, and he covered it up, and then he went and he, and he sells everything that he has to come back and buy that property so he can have that treasure. And this treasure is so important to me. It's where my heart is. It's where my entire life is. It's where my heart beats, and I will sell or get rid of anything I have to keep it. Will you sell anything? Will you make anything, anything else second compared to kingdomness in you? Is that what you feel? Is that how you are? Is that how you approach things? Sometimes, sometimes not. Psalm 119 kind of convinces us. These are several verses throughout Psalm 1. It's that really, really long, long psalm. And a lot of people say, you know, the Jews were just kind of, they just kind of followed the law because they had to and they were drudgery. But you read, this is a love song to Scripture, is what Psalm 119 is. And they loved Scripture, or they wanted to. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I would rather have your word than all the wealth in the world. Forget Bitcoin. Give me scripture. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. When I'm looking for what I need to do in life, I don't consult Dr. Phil. I consult Dr. Luke and the others of Scripture. That's my counselors. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation. It's what I think about all day long. I just wonder if that kind of passion runs from us. Now, here's the last one, Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's a weird place to go. This is a chapter of blessings and curses. If you do what I tell, if, if you follow my word, here's the life I'll give you. And if you don't hear the curses, he says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart and the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord your God will send against you. If I, I don't want you serving me. I want you serving me with joyfulness and gladness. Not reluctantly, not always out of obligation and burden. I want you serving me with joyfulness and gladness. Now, we've expressed this for years. And in fact, some of these expressions are your favorite songs ever. Okay, songbook. 595. <clears throat> I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. It's early in the morning. The voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, right? And he walks with me, he talks with me. Here's verse number three. I'd stay here in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. He would spend the whole day there if he had his choice. You've been singing this for years. I'd spend the whole day here. From the dew on the roses to the night falling. But God bids me go. Get out there and live for me. I want, so God's got to push him away. God's got to, right? And he walks with me and he talks with me. You ever, have you ever wanted to stay in that season of prayer all day long? 
I'd like to have that experience. 666, one of my favorites. But it's an oldie. Not many people sing this anymore. But <clears throat> I am thine, O Lord. I've heard thy voice, told thy love to me. Now listen to verse 3. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour. Do you know what I think of when I read that verse now? A whole hour? Are you kidding me? Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. That's how people used to write songs. Not the same verse over and over and over and over and over. And you feel like the vinyl stuck, the vinyl stuck, the vinyl stuck. No, no, it's not that. It's, this is real poetry. And this person is saying, man, I would love to stay here. And the classic of this, 827, the whole song is this way, but I'm just going to look at the first verse for a second when it goes like this. And you know this. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. Come out of that. You're so caught up in all of that and you think you've got to keep, you've got to run faster and do more. Come out of there. Sweet hour of prayer bids me at my Father's throne. Hey, tell him, tell him what's going on with you. Share all that stress and frustration. And here's the thing what God will tell you. You can't get it all done unless you do have that sweet hour of prayer. That's the weird thing. It doesn't make sense, does it? It's a paradox. You mean you want me to add another thing to my to-do list called prayer and try to still get everything done? And God says, if you will, you might get everything done. That's the weird thing. Bids me at my Father's throne, make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. And then there's that diagnosis song, more... It's a more new song. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My prayers are old. Whatever that goes, you know. It's a whole thing. Is like, I'm just dried up. I think most Christians do want that spiritual fervor that Paul talked about in Romans 12. I think we want this passion. I, I think we long for finding God the most satisfying experience of our lives. And here's the thing, God is most glorified in us. As Piper would say, when we are most satisfied with Him. Are you satisfied with God? Satisfied. I'm not there yet. And it frustrates me to think about what it's going to take to get there. And I sometimes don't even know how to get there. I want to want to. But when the time comes to do something concrete that demonstrates that closeness or helps me acquire it, I just can't make myself do it. There's some reason that I let something else jump in there. And there's always something else. I want to cry like the father of the uh, demon-possessed boy. I care, God. Help me overcome my lack of care. I've got both in me. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I really do care. Here are the symptoms I'm talking about that I see in myself. One is I just 
cannot enjoy simple Bible reading and meditation. I want to do it. I intend to do it. I know I should do it. This is good for me. This is healthy. So is taking one of those super beats pills, chewables. That's good for you too, but I've never bought one yet because they sound disgusting, but I know I should. I let a number of lesser things get in there first. I cannot peel away from my binging on, Facebook, on, on Netflix for even 15 minutes. 15 minutes in that seems so long, whereas my fifth episode in a row of Seinfeld seems so easy. Anybody else have this problem? Is that, am, I, am I foreign? I can't get myself to really, really pray. And in fact, I find it, I find it a relief when something disturbs it. And when I do pray, it's like this bullet list. I got this and this and this and this. What else am I supposed to pray for? This and this and this. And it's very passive. I could be doing something useful with this time. I could be doing something useful. It doesn't sound like sweet hour of prayer, sweet. doesn't sound like that. It sounds like, man, what am I going to say? How am I going to fill up the time? Real fellowship with God's people is not fulfilling to me as much as I wish it was. And a lot of people that will say this, and of course I can't because I'm around church people all the time, but they find more satisfaction hanging out with people who don't share their faith. And I'm an introvert, so I'm very easy to spend time with nobody and be content. Worship is okay, but it's passive, isn't it? It's, I'm restless. I could be doing something. I should be doing something that accomplishes something. And this comes across in some churches that I've seen is that, that when they do a Sunday of service where they basically don't do worship service, instead they go out and do service projects, they get a lot more people because they're actually helping people and not just sitting passively before God. As if somehow the service sounds more spiritual, doesn't it? I can assure you it's not. Why is it so easy, like I said, to binge watch hours of a show consecutively, but so hard to pause it and say, we need to give some reflection time on God? Why is fasting something that none of us will ever consider? And the only way to get people to come in numbers is to feed, not non-feed. Why is that? If we do barbecue or catfish, we'll have a load of people here. But if we did a Sunday of fasting, I'm pretty sure Grace Point would be overloaded in Southwest. And why is it something completely outside the realm of your thought when it's so very prevalent in the New Testament, which we claim to be restoring? If we actually love and respect and honor God's Word, why would Bible class be something we are so casual and easy to dismiss? Why is that? We're capable of rather easy compromises away what would clearly be God's preferred desire for us. There are some things God would definitely want us to be doing, but we'll honor Him in some of the big things, coming to church and giving and all that, but the little things seem not so 
important, the daily things in your own life where there's nobody leading it. There's not a preacher leading it. There's not a song leader leading it. It's your own time. It's your own day in your own house. Why is it so hard to be spiritual then or do spiritual exercises then when it's up to you instead of directed by someone else? A lack of contentment. You're hoping for, you're looking for something to fill you up in the most satisfying sense, right? But nothing really does, at least not for very long. And this is where Augustine's quote steps in here, and I think it's the last one. You have made us for yourself, Augustine says. God made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. It's, it's like this, he created us to only be how we're supposed to be when we're lined up with him. And we know it, there's this angst, there's this restlessness, there's things aren't, this is not how I'm supposed to be. And so we run around like a chicken with its head cut off, trying to find that thing that makes us content. Instead of coming to the one place we were created to be content with. It's closeness to him. It's a fascinating thing. I think Augustine is right. A lack of satisfaction with the things of God. Here's a great question. If you don't delight in time in the word, if you don't delight in the worship of God, if you don't delight in relationships with the people of God, what does that say? It's one of two things. These things are deficient. God hasn't invested them with enough oomph for you to need it. Or, are our delights out of whack? We've trained ourselves to delight in the things that we're not to delight in. When someone says to me, I'd rather spend time with people who are not Christians than Christians, and I want to look at them and say, the problem here is you. You have to sometimes... Train yourself to delight in the right things. We are training ourselves. We've got to train ourselves to delight in it. And you can say, well, you, I wish that you come in together at the youth group. I wish the kids, when they got together as a youth group, they, I wish they liked being together. That's the whole goal, right? And to me, if you've ever seen this happen, every once in a while you'll see one like this. A youth group, that if, you, if they ask the youth group to come and dig a ditch in the heat of summer, they'd all come. And do you know why? They just love being together. They don't care what you ask of them. Instead of, well, who's going to be there? Well, what are we going to do? Who's going to feed us? Are you going to provide the food? I mean, it's all that stuff. And I'm thinking, what is happening to us, right? So when your delights are out of whack, is it because the things you're supposed to delight in are powerless all of a sudden? Or is it because... We have trained ourselves to delight in the things that we shouldn't, and we've got to readjust. How do you train teenagers in our world today to delight in the things of God? Just ask yourself that. And then I got another one. How do you get adults to delight in the things of God? Matthew 5, 6 again, if hungering and thirsting for righteousness is a good thing, how do we create an appetite for it? How do we train people to be hungry for righteousness? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
How do we nurture appetite for the things of God? A great question. For those of us who are Christians and we have proclaimed ourselves publicly to be interested in holiness and the pursuit of Christ's likeness. That's what you agreed to when you were immersed. It's not just for you to be saved. It's not just for you to have your sins taken care of. It's for you to let God make you look like Jesus, the one who died for you. You're trading places. That's what you're doing. And you are agreeing to the entire program of God shaping you. Okay, so what's holding us up? And what are we going to do about it? And for the next coming weeks, we're going to be talking about this because I, I don't know that everybody's apathy is based on the same thing. And you want to ask, don't you, why are you doing this with the Sunday night crowd? Why are you not talking to the Sunday morning crowd? Apathy. We'll define it, we'll describe it starting next time. I want you to think about the places in your life where you see apathy showing up, spiritual apathy, an indifference, a lack of motivation to do what you know for sure would be the better choice at this moment. You have options, you have time, and you have moments where you can decide what you are going to do, and you could pursue spiritual things, and you choose intentionally not to. You really know what you should do, and you really want to, but you don't do it because there's so many other things that are more immediately satisfying. I just want you for the next week to look at those moments, recognize them, acknowledge them when they come up in your life, because it's going to happen this week. It's going to happen this week, and you're going to see it. You're going to see the symptoms of apathy rise up spiritually in your life. And just take note of them. Don't, make, don't beat yourself over them, up over them. Don't, don't sit, but, but just look at it and ask yourself, why is it I could have done something to make me more Christ-like at that moment and I chose something else instead? Just ask yourself that. Make yourself aware. In the coming weeks, we'll talk about where this came from, and what exactly we might be able to do about it. It's our Sunday night crowd. Contrary to popular belief, I think we struggle with apathy as much as anybody else. And I hope, you, I hope it annoys you. And I hope the, the moments that come up that you recognize, I hope it drives you crazy. Because maybe you'll be back the next Sunday night and figure out, can you diagnose this? We'll try. If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, make it known as we stand and as we sing together.